Should I say it now? You're listening to Brains On, where we're serious about being curious. Brains On is supported in part by a grant from the National Science Foundation. Recognize these tunes? do if you've ever played Super Mario 3D World, Skyrim, or Minecraft. But it wasn't always a given that your games would have a soundtrack. Board games certainly didn't. And early arcade games. The predecessor to video games. Didn't have music either. So how did it come to be here? And what kind of effect does it have on you? We'll find out now. Keep listening. I'm Molly Bloom, and my co-host for this episode of Brains On is 12-year-old Henry Goldman. Hello! So, Henry, you play video games. Yeah. And do you remember the first video game you ever played? Hmm, the first video game I ever played was probably Cube Runner, back when I was four or five. What's Cube Runner? It's this game where it was kind of like a simulation of a car almost, except you were just an arrow. And you would have to tilt the phone or iPad or whatever device you had back and forth trying to avoid all of these just random cubes that would pop up on the screen. Was there music in that game? There was music in that game. Do you remember it? Um, it went something like... I don't know. It's one of those songs where it's in your head, but it doesn't come out. Um, so which video game would you say has your favorite music? Hmm, my favorite music. Ah, this game called Bouncy Slime. It's on the iPad where you're this little slime ball and you kind of like bounce around. It's weird, but it's fun. And why does that have your favorite music? What about it do you like? I don't know. It just kind of triggers something that makes it fun. The game seems more fun. So what, it actually enhances the game when you have the music on. Yeah. Because sometimes... It kind of gets you pumped up. Right, because sometimes you don't like the music for games, right? Yeah, and then it bugs you, and then you don't play that game. Henry finds video game music annoying sometimes. So we want to know... What effect does video game music have on players? Before we get to that question, let's look at where video game music came from. Producer Mark Sanchez is here to tell us more. Hi, Mark. Hey, guys. Hello. Mark, when does music enter the world of video games? Around 1978, these four chords changed everything. Do you know what that is? Space Invaders? Exactly. Have you ever played Space Invaders? Yeah. You did? You played Space Invaders? Yeah, aren't you the little, like, ship thing at the bottom? Yeah. And there's the little rocks, and there's all the thingies coming that are shooting at you, and you don't want them to get to the bottom? Exactly. Yep. Space Invaders, it started out as a stand-up arcade game, and it was set in this really, really primitive version of outer space. The guy that invented the game, his, his name is Tomohiro Nishikado. He decided to put those four chords 
throughout the game. And the longer you keep your spaceship from getting hit by an alien, by one of their lasers, the faster the music would get. And it's like just those four notes, those four chords, like makes things really, really tense. I've never played Space Invaders, but I've played other games where the music speeds up the closer you get to the end, and I get really nervous when it happens. How about you, Henry? I agree with that. I mean, I think that as more games are starting to kind of pop up, a lot more games are starting to have music that's speeding up. And does it make you feel nervous? Definitely. I called up a friend of mine. He's a programmer and a musician. His name is Ocean Kalen. I wanted to ask him about these these early sounds, this early music in, in video games. And they're actually made by an 8-bit chip. I don't know if you've heard of that or not. but Have you, have you heard the term 8-bit before? Yeah. It's like, what well, is... I've never heard of it referenced to the music. I've only heard of it referenced to, like, the kind of pixelated creatures. It, yeah, it references what you see on the screen. The shorthand for that music, people call it 8-bit music. Here's what he said. Inside video games and arcade consoles, there are chips and transistors and capacitors and all those things. Well, those chips can run sets of instructions, and there may be one chip to do all the video. And so that's what makes all the pixels on the screen you know, light up certain colors. And there may be another chip that deals with the, the joystick or the buttons or something like that. And there's often uh, another chip that just does sound. Okay, you guys got this so far? Microchips are inside the games, and each chip has a set of instructions that tells the game how to react. Okay. Now, let's focus on the chip that sends sound signals to the game speaker. We've talked about sound waves in the past, right? Yes, at our music episode. You can Shout listen- out to the music episode! <laughs> you can listen to that to find out how our brains actually hear music. And as we learned in that episode, sound travels in waves. And when you think about a wave, when part of it goes up, the other part goes down. Ocean told me that this kind of symmetry, this up and down motion, is kind of ideal for these sounds that are coming out of uh, 8-bit chips. The binary nature of computers, zeros and ones, or off and on, are really well suited to making music because if you think of a speaker, like the cone in the speaker, it just goes in and out. If a computer says zero, make the cone go in, and if the computer says one, make the cone go out. And so if the computer can just send a a series of zeros and ones in some special order, then that can make the speaker go in and out in some special order, uh, and that special order we call sound. And so that sound might be a violin, or it might be a piano, or it could just be some alien getting shot. Okay, so far we've got chips getting instructions in the form of zeros and ones. Binary code. And the chip turns those instructions into sound waves that come through the speaker. Right. But why do the old games sound so old? Like, why couldn't Space Invaders have a super awesome soundtrack like Skyrim that sounds like an orchestra with violins? It's all about limitations. Limitations? Limitations and exponents. Are you guys ready to do a little multiplication? I guess so. Compared to today's microchips, like the ones in your phone or tablet or computer that you might have, the chips in Tomohiro Nishikado's Space Invaders, they might as well have been potato chips. Those early chips could only run a limited, teeny tiny amount of instructions compared to today before they ran out of room or bits. The more bits, the better the sound. Bit means how many, in terms of a mathematical equation, it's 2 to the n power. And so 2 times 2 is would be called 2-bit because you're multiplying 2 by 2 just twice. 2 times 2 times 2 is 2 
to the third power, or 3-bit. And 2 times 2 times 2 times 2 is 2 to the fourth power, or 4-bit. A lot of early video game consoles, like the Atari 2600 or early Nintendo systems or the Commodore 64 computers, those ran on 8-bit chips. You guys want to do the math on this one? Yeah. Let's see. 8 bits would be 2 to the 8th power. Mm-hmm. So that's 2. Times 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 2. Okay, multiply that out and you get? 256. But 256 what? Ocean? So remember we talked about the zeros and the ones make the speaker go in and out. Well, if you only have two states, if you have in and you have out, that's one bit, meaning that there are only two instructions or two to the first power. And so you only have two sort of states, either all the way in or all the way out. If you have something that's two bit, meaning that it's two times two or four, that means there are four states. So it would be all the way off or all the way on, or there would be two states in between, about a third on and about two-thirds on. Well, 8-bit means that there's 2 times 2 times 2 times 2, or all, you know, uh, 8 times, or 256 states. And so that speaker can be in 256 places. That sounds like a lot, but music is really complicated. And so if you only allow the speaker to, to rest at 256 separate places, it approximates sound. You know, when we're just walking outside and we're hearing birds and we're hearing, you know, trees rustle, we're hearing millions and millions of states between totally on and totally off. Among his many talents, Ocean has programmed the sounds of 8-bit computer chips into modern music-making software. We're listening to a song made with his software right now, in fact. And there's a whole 8-bit music scene out there. Some musicians, like Ocean, use software and modern computers to make their computer video game sounding music. And others, the purists out there, they purposely limit themselves by using the original chips. Cool. Well, I guess there's just one thing left to say. Yep. Dance party! You can find links to Ocean software and music at our website, brainson.org. Speaking of beautiful sounds, we want to hear yours. We're working on another mystery sound extravaganza and want to hear some of the mystery sounds that you think will stump your fellow listeners. You can email them to hello at brainson.org. Be sure to both record the sound and your explanation of what it is. You can also send your drawings and questions to that same email address, hello at brainson.org. That's what Caleb did. Why are cheetahs so fast? We're going to answer that question during our moment of um at the end of the show. And we're going to read the latest group of listeners to join Caleb on the Brains Honor Roll. That's the way we thank all of you who share your questions and ideas with us. Keep listening. Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start. So that's where the newest version of the Million Bazillion Academy steps in, our email newsletter course. You can start whenever, and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace. They'll learn about crypto, the stock market, and so much more. And best of all, it's free. Million Bazillion Academy, making kids smarter about money. Sign up today at marketplace.org academy. 
Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start. So that's where the newest version of the Million Bazillion Academy steps in, our email newsletter course. You can start whenever, and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace. They'll learn about crypto, the stock market, and so much more. And best of all, it's free. Million Bazillion Academy, making kids smarter about money. Sign up today at marketplace.org academy. So how do we get from this to this? Excellent question. But we have something we need to do first. It's time for the mystery sound. Here it is. Any guesses? It sounded kind of like a keyboard clicking. Okay. Okay. You're, you're, you're on the right track. But think about it a little bit more. We're going to come back to it later in the show. And while you and our listeners puzzle over it, we're going to get back to that question that you just asked. How did video game music evolve? Well, as the technology evolved, so did the music. Logic came into the picture. The music went from playing at the start of levels and just looping over and over to having to make decisions about where it was going to play. If Mario eats a mushroom, then play this music. If Mario jumps on Yoshi, then add percussion. If Mario jumps off Yoshi, then remove percussion. So it's this logic in the software that makes the music interactive. To explain more about how that works, we turn to one of our podcasting buddies. I'm Emily Reese. She's the host of Level with Emily Reese, a podcast all about sounds and music in video games. It features interviews with composers about their work. That's right. Emily says video game music is fundamentally different from other soundtracks in one big way. It tends to be interactive. When you watch a film or a television show, that's a very static experience. You hear that music once and then it's always the same through every single viewing of that particular media. But when you're playing a video game, you know, there are times where you might spend an hour in one area where another player might spend five minutes. And so the music is tailored to adapt to each player depending on how they're playing. Have you ever noticed that while playing a game, how the music changes? Yeah, I've noticed that. I mean, there's some games that don't even, the music doesn't change no matter how long you're on one level or one area. It just gets annoying and then you don't want to play that game anymore. But then the games that do change are a little more interesting. Definitely. So the way that this music is different is that they layer different themes on top of each other. So that's when you add one bit of music and then another bit and then another depending on what's going on in the game. We asked her to give us an example. Okay, so let's say we're in an adventure game and your job is to go from one end of a cave to the other end of the cave and along the way certain things are going to happen. So when you first enter that cave, the music is likely going to be kind of ambient, like you would think of a soundtrack, kind of a background hum of what's happening. Background hum. Background hum. And 
as you're moving through the cave and as certain maybe goblins are coming out or maybe there are rocks falling, maybe you come up to a point where you can't get across, you have to figure out some way to cross a you know, pool of water in the lake or something like that, other layers of music will, will pop in. Obstacles, things are getting hard. And you might not even notice it. They might just creep in so slowly. And it'll be a layer of music that works really well with whatever you've already been hearing. And then once maybe an enemy pops out, that's when the drums would kick in. That helps you, I think, to kind of get in the mindset of, okay, now it's time to do battle, or now it's time to solve this puzzle, or whatever it is that that game is telling you you need to achieve, a lot of times the intensity of the music will kind of ramp up a little bit, and there will be many more layers added to that. When that task finishes, level achieved. Those tend to drop away, and we're back down to layer one, where the music is nice and ambient, and you're back in your cave exploring and not getting in any trouble. Background. It's that kind of blending of these different layers that makes each each experience unique, really. Background. Background on. Let's go back to that mystery sound. Ready to hear it one more time? Yeah. A different guess this time? I don't know. I'm still... Pretty high on keyboard, but that's kind of making me think. If we're talking about video games, and this could possibly be an old sound, maybe it's an arcade, and maybe somebody's playing the video game, and that's the sound of clicking the buttons before there was music. That is a really good guess. This is actually a sound that's very familiar to me. It's actually one that I hear in my living room all the time. Ready for the answer? Yeah. Here it is. That was the sound of my video game controller as I was playing video games on my Xbox 360. My name is Andy Doucette. I'm an artist, a teacher, and I've been playing video games for about 30 years. What's your relationship to me? You're my wife, and I'm your husband. We're married. And I hear that sound a lot when you play video games because you are wearing headphones. So why do you wear headphones when you play? Sometimes it just allows you to hear the sounds a little bit better. And some, some games are designed to have sound move around your head. So you can hear that in stereo. There's two different experiences, what I hear in my head and what everyone else hears, which is just silence and the clickety-clack of my controller. I never thought about yeah. that. People who are playing don't usually hear the sound of the clicking because they are hearing the music and the sounds from the game. So it's a little different perspective on what it sounds like to play video games. So it's possible to play video games without the music, but will that help or hinder your playing? To find out, we talked to psychologist Sue Lantan, who actually studies the impact that video game music has on us. And she teaches at Kalamazoo College in Michigan. We started with the basics. What kind of music makes us feel certain ways? So if we think, for example, about video game music 
and emotions like scary, nervous, happy. Um, if you're playing a video game, there's some music that just expresses emotion. So it sort of sets up an atmosphere around you. But then there's other music that can actually make you feel the emotion. So it induces emotion. So for instance, um, Henry, have you played a racing game before with and without music? And if you are playing it with music, do you sometimes feel like the music can actually make you feel more excited or more panicky or make you feel exhilarated like you're flying or soaring? And that's music actually inducing or stirring up emotions inside you. Well, why does it do that? So why music does that is actually a complex question and there's lots of possible answers. One way that music can express or induce emotion is by mimicking what your body does when you experience an emotion in your real life. So, for example, um, do you know the classic side-scroller Mario Brothers game? Yeah, I like that game. So you notice the music gets steadily faster and faster as you're running out of time, right? Yeah. So the music makes you feel excited and energized, and one way it might do that is that because it sounds like it's getting faster and faster, it's just like the pounding of your heartbeat going faster and faster when you're running fast. Does the music in video games actually help us play better, or does it make us play worse? So if you get, have a lot of sounds that are just doubling up what you see on the screen, it might actually distract you. Um, but there are some sounds and music in your video game that are cues or warnings of things that you don't see on the screen. So they're your only clues about something important. And if you can pay attention to those things, you can actually play better. It can really help your game. Well, I've started playing, instead of using the small amounts of music that's in that game. I've been turning, well, kind of drowning out the music with my own music, played off of my phone, like just the radio. And I, it's been helping me. I think I've been playing a lot better with it than when I haven't had it on because it kind of, it's kind of like a white noise in a way. So I only pay attention to the things in the game that really matter. That's really, really interesting because um, we did research on exactly that topic. We were asking about whether people might play a new game, particularly a complex game that's new to them that they haven't played before, if they play better with the sound off or the sound on, or like you were doing, playing pleasant music that they like that's not distracting in the background, that's not related to the game. And actually, we found the same thing that you said. You could have done our research, Henry, and been a step ahead of us. But that we found the same thing, that if you're playing a new game and it's complex and you don't know it really well yet, sometimes it's actually better to play with relaxing music and you can kind of just focus on the visual cues and what's really important, like you said. But we did find that the subsection of our participants who were the top gamers, who were getting the top, top scores, they were different from the rest. They actually played better from the beginning if they were playing with the music and the sound from the game on. And that's because they're able to put together the sound cues and what's happening on the screen in a really tight way and know what to pay attention to and not be distracted. So, but most people, it seems like it would be better to play with music that's unrelated for a short time until you get to know your, your game really well.
So it turns out if you're just starting out, or if you're an expert gamer, video game music can really help. But if you're a regular player of a game, it can eventually become a little bit of a distraction. So you can make your own soundtrack, or maybe try your own experiment. Do you play better with the sound off or on? With no music, or maybe with your own soundtrack? Send us your results. Email us at hello at brainson.org. Now, before we go, it's time for our moment of um. Hi, I'm Kevin Mills. I live in Sacramento. Why are cheetahs so fast? My name is Rick Schwartz. I'm the ambassador for San Diego Zoo Global that oversees the San Diego Zoo, the San Diego Zoo Safari Park, and our conservation that we have around the world. When it comes to the anatomy of a cheetah, everything about them is really built for speed. Uh, we can talk about the physiology or the structure of the spine, the legs, and the muscles that propel the cat forward so quickly. The spine is incredibly flexible. We kind of tell people to think of it as a giant spring, and every time you bend a spring, no matter what direction, it wants to bounce back. And with that physical force, what the cheetah's body does as the back legs go forward and the front legs push back, the spine curves and then it springs back and actually arches the other way, allowing them to have a huge stride. We look at the cat family and cats are well known for having retractable claws. Cheetahs are the exception to the rule. They have claws that are always out, similar to a, a dog. So they are thick and they are blunt. But because they're always out, they also work very much like you have uh, for football cleats or soccer cleats. So as they're chasing and running, it does help them uh, to get that grip while they change directions to chase down their prey. There's the internal part of it as well. Enlarged lungs, it's pretty impressive the way the ribcage moves with the sprint to help force air in and out of those lungs, almost like bellows if you would. If you compare, let's say, the cheetah's speed, of uh, top speed, you know, they don't always hit 70 miles an hour, but it's very close, usually most chases. Do you compare that top speed to, say, something like a lion, another African cat that they will share uh, territory with? The lion's top speed usually is around 35. They try to rely on that element of surprise and not the element of chase. And the reason we see that the cheetah has to have this kind of speed versus the other cats can kind of use that element of surprise is when they hunt. Cheetahs are going to hunt in the middle of the day uh, when the other predators are sleeping. And the other predators like lions and leopards tend to hunt in the twilight and nighttime hours. Fast like a cheetah, I'm going to speed through this list of names. It's time for the Brain's Honor Roll. These are the listeners who keep us going by sharing their questions, ideas, and mystery sounds with us. Here they are. Harley from King Ferry, New York, Aesop and Humphrey from St. Paul, Minnesota, Nolan from Mannheim, Pennsylvania, Keshav from Boston, Harper from San Francisco, Alex from Mountaintop, Pennsylvania, August from New York, Charlie from Hanover, Germany, Jack and Caroline from Frankenmuth, Michigan, Mark and Matthew from Boca Raton, Florida, Abe from Los Angeles, Finn from Vienna, Virginia, Davey, Paul, Henry, and Maggie from Nashville, Eleanor, Lucy, and John from Austin, Texas, Laura from New York City, Elizabeth from Lookout Mountain, Georgia, Dewanda, Nina, and Naomi from Apex, North Carolina, Noah and Enoch from Redwood Valley, California, 
Devin from Vancouver, Elliot and Claire from Edina, Minnesota, Alexandra from Melbourne, Australia, Malcolm from Hurdle Mills, North Carolina, Levi from Knoxville, Tennessee, Aubrey from Whitehall, Pennsylvania, Trustin and John from Yuba City, California, Charlie from Toronto, Frank from Surrey, British Columbia, Josie from Port Washington, New York, Henry from the Bronx, Cole and Avery from Philadelphia, Jaime and Bella from Los Angeles, Zadie from Brooklyn, River from Bloomington, Indiana, Mila from Austin, Texas, Liam from Canberra, Australia, Max from Columbia, Missouri, Kashmira from Abu Dhabi, Sky from Hamilton, Ontario, Amaya, Joe, and Hobby from Bilbao, Spain, Winston from Gilbert, Arizona, Jeffrey and Andrew from Tewksbury, Massachusetts, Sedona from St. Cloud, Minnesota, Max from Fairfield, Connecticut, Ariel and Matan from Portland, Oregon, and Caleb from Los Angeles. And that's it for this episode of Brains On. This episode was produced by Sandan Totten, Mark Sanchez, and Molly Bloom. Many thanks to Karen Collins, Denise Goldman, Emily Henderson, Sarah Santelli, Randall Thompson, Eric Ringham, and Valerie Kaler. If you like what you're hearing, write a review on iTunes. Like us on Facebook. Or follow us on Twitter at Brains underscore on. And you can always find past episodes at our website, brainson.org. Thanks for listening. Beep, boop. Level achieved.